Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne Derhodge. Thanks so much for tuning in, in again to Ro- Authentic Living with Roxanne. Uh, this week I have a colleague, uh, Susan Luke Evans. Hi, Susan. How are you? Hi, Roxanne. I'm good. 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 How is, how is uh, the weather in Toronto today? It's um, The sun is shining, but it's not warm. <laughs> yes, yes. And a bit of snow also out there? Uh, we had snow this morning, but it, yeah. the streets are clear now, so... I, you know, I'm right by the lake, so who knows? Oh, okay, you get that effect. Yeah. So Susan is a, um, a leadership expert, and I'm going to read a little bit about her background. And um, she's an international speaker that um, is on a, a plane more than uh, most of us probably would do in her lifetime. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit about her, and then we're just going to kind of jump into what she does. She's a leadership consultant and a communications expert uh, and she's among 12% of Canadian speakers within uh, the 5,000 member, members of the Global Speakers of Federation to hold the highest designation, uh, the certified speaking professional, something that is, um, you know, such a privilege to have her uh, in Toronto with us. At uh, um, I'm presently a member of uh, the Canadian um, Association of Professional Speakers, CAPS. So I get to see Susan about once a month when she's there. And as well, she's one of 34 speakers in the world um, who has earned the Global Speaking Fellowship designation. Um, So again, a privilege to have her with us in Toronto. Prior to starting to speak, she was the CEO of a financial services support company uh, where she executed basically a five-year startup plan in only three years distributed dividends a year ahead of schedule, which I'm sure a lot of people are very happy with, and led a subsequent highly successful merger. So Susan, uh, thanks for being on again uh, to uh, re-record, as we say. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to talk a little bit about um, kind of your path and what got you to the point where um, you're a communications expert. I, I often say that all of us continually learn to communicate effectively. You know, as soon as we open our eyes, we're communicating, whether it's, you know, Mm -hmm. to our children or our husbands or partners, anybody that we're going to run into. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we do it relatively well, but sometimes not so well. Yeah, I think we we all learn something new every day. We may not be conscious of it um, at the time that we've learned it in terms of how we relate to other people. But... um, but, but with the way the world is, is changing with technology and all the other electronic uh, aids and so forth, um, if we don't learn something new every day, we're going to be left behind. I was talking to a, a very old friend of mine the other day, and she still has a flip phone. So that's, <laughs> I was like, seriously? So anyway, um, I, my journey has been somewhat a I tell people I have a checkered past um, because I've, I've had three very distinct careers. I was a school teacher um, when I first started out and I taught in very remote Native American villages in Alaska. I, wow. yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'd do it again, but I learned a lot. Um, I lived in a log cabin, no TV, no telephone, no running water, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it seemed very uh, exciting at the time. And, and you adapt and you, you learn to live. I, I was a city girl, so, so what did I know? But um, I, I learned very quickly how to cook <laughs> and how to, to um, sew and, and all the things that a lot of people knew how to do. But my mother was a lot like I am now. She would rather make a speech than eat when she was hungry. 
And so she didn't know how to cook. So I didn't know how to cook. And um, so, so I, I did that for several years. And then I moved to Honolulu because I thought I deserved it. And um, at the time, I was a single mom. And so my son grew up in Honolulu. And it was in Honolulu that I switched from the field of education to uh, become the CEO of the financial services support uh, uh, company that that you referred to in the introduction. So I did that for a while, and and part of my job in in that position was to make presentations on a regular basis to boards of directors of financial institutions to get them to join our uh, organization, which provided. Uh, automated teller machine networking services to financial institutions, both in the state and it was back in the day when when national and international sharing was just starting. So once again, I was doing something I had no clue how to do. Um, but um, uh, my the chairman of my board, I asked her, I said, why did you hire me? And she said, we hired you. I said, I don't know anything about this. And she said, well, we can teach you what you need to know, or you can learn it from vendors or whomever. But she said, what we can't teach you, anybody, are, are people skills. And she said, mm -hmm. that's what we need you to, to do, is to communicate, to sell this program, to work with people on a regular basis, to hire staff and make sure that they can work with people and all those kinds of things. So I sort of fell into that kind of accidentally, but uh, it was a good, a good uh, opportunity for me. And it was from there then that I, because I quite frankly, <laughs> candidly, I got tired of making the same presentation to the same kind of audience, you know, every, every week. And um, I wanted to do some different things. And so I, I started my own business, uh, just about a little over 30 years ago now. And um, um, the rest is history, so to speak. Now I've reinvented my business multiple times, um, doing mostly training in, in communication skills in terms of, you know, how do you, how do you communicate with different types of people? How do you diffuse difficult situations and deal with conflict and all those kinds of things until I finally hit on the um, opportunity to do what I had done for years, but didn't really count it as a skill. And that was to use storytelling and stories to help other people communicate better, specifically leaders in, in big businesses. And it was a client that asked me to do that. Once again, I, I'm, I'm guess I'm not smart enough to know what to do myself. Other people have to tell me, and then I do it. So I, they asked me if I, they needed help, and, and they had a, a CEO who um, was from a different country, and uh, this is in in the the deep south of the U.S. And this this person that they had uh, imported to come and save the company because the company was in sort somewhat of a crisis mode uh, was from Australia. Well, it's a lot different in terms of communication styles between the very slow Southern way of talking and the very short, soft ways that uh, someone from Western Australia spoke. And so they, they loved him, they liked him, they all got along, but they didn't understand a word he said, not because he wasn't speaking English, but he wasn't speaking the way they listened. And so they said to me, can you help him maybe teach him how to tell stories so that people will listen? I said, well, I've never done that before. And they said, yeah, but you use stories all the time in your, in your session. Mm -hmm. So why don't you do that? So that's what I did. And it's grown a bit. Uh, so not only do I do a lot of stories and storytelling coaching for other people that want to learn how to tell stories appropriately, I guess is the best way to say that, and when to use them and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but also linking them now to, and I guess this is a sign of my age, the legacy that you, that you want to leave. And so my, my 
current um, mantra, so to speak, is everybody lives a great story. And that allows you to build a legacy that you believe. So something along those lines is kind of my, in a nutshell, checkered past. And here I am. <laughs> from, teacher, from teacher to CEO to telling stories. Wow. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little <laughs> but if, uh, if I wasn't hearing it, I may think that sounds like a little bit of a tale, but <laughs> fun, fun, yeah, no, and, and, and the, but the good thing is, and, and, you know, you mentioned that I, I work internationally and I always have ever since I started my business, I've been very fortunate. So I've spoken on and, and worked on six different continents in over 50 countries and many of them multiple times. So stories are the one thing that regardless of the level of, of language that they have, and I don't speak another language. Um, so if, they're not, if English is not their first language, then, you know, they, they listen differently, they hear differently. And so telling a story allows them to focus on the on the words I'm actually saying because they're they're interested. It's a universal kind of communication tool. So it's fun. So you de you deal mostly with senior teams or do you deal with all levels of the organization about storytelling? Well primarily with us mid-management and senior executive teams, but I have done a, a number of um, I guess what you would call entry level kinds of folks, depending on the industry. Uh, I've done quite a bit of work in the hospitality industry. So in terms of hotels, I've worked with the executive teams first to make sure we were all on the same page. Mm -hmm. And then I worked with the, with the front desk folks because they're the people that interact primarily with the guests. And if they're not doing things, and, and this is not that they're, I don't teach them necessarily to tell stories at the front desk. They don't have time to do that. But, but I can use some of, this, some of the stories from my experience in working in that industry to help them understand how to relate to their guests more effectively and more appropriately. So can you deconstruct something for me? Just like for, I'm, I'm curious myself and I'm going to assume people listening or watching are going to be. So when, let's give us an example of, um, maybe use our, the Southern um, <laughs> example, because I'm curious how you talk, you know, this West oh, Australian, you know, Australian and how he could relate. Like how, what is it? What are the commonalities in reference to story that cuts through culture? Well, when I do workshops on on how to use stories in your in your um organization and and how to tell them um typically what i do is i i tell a story from my own experience usually about my son or you know it's a personal story because everybody will identify with my mom or my kid or or you know everybody wouldn't necessarily identify with all of the professional kinds of experiences I've had or all of the cultures that I've worked in but they will they will um, connect with a personal story about someone that they could allow to connect with somebody they knew maybe not their mother but maybe somebody else that was influential in their life or maybe not their own child but maybe when they were a child or a niece or a nephew whatever mm -hmm. so we i tell them a story then we debrief it a little bit about what did i do how did i do it why did i i say this that or the other and then i usually ask them we go around the room and this is typically in a in a group of probably 20 maybe 25 at the most but but not any more than that so that we have time to to spend and after we've had a discussion about what a story is and all of that then i say now i want you to to each tell me one specific concept that you need to communicate to your team this week mm -hmm. and i don't have to understand the concept because sometimes I don't. Is there if they're in the in 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 that particular situation that where they have the CEO, 
they had people all the way from guys that worked on the shop floor in, in a chemical plant all the way up to, to engineers and scientists that worked in, in research and development and all those kinds of things. So they're widely, a wide uh, uh, diversity in terms of education level, in terms of, of all of that. But they all had teams or groups that they worked with. And I said, so in one or two sentences, we're going to go around and you're going to tell me out loud, <laughs> in front of God and everybody, <laughs> what is this concept? And so they do. And then I say, you have 10 minutes to come up with a story or an experience. Some of them don't like the word story, so we'll use an experience that you can tell to the rest of the group that will illustrate that point. Mm -hmm. Just that one point. It's not going to be long, and this may, may only take you two or three minutes to tell. It's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. And if you want to stand up, you can stand up. If you want to sit down, you know, I mean, it's not a, a presentation skills course. I don't do that. There's a lot of people that do that. I'm not that person. And, um, and I could sell tickets mm -hmm. to some of the stories that those, those folks come up with because they're their stories. And the, the story that the CEO in that particular uh, example came up with after he and his executive team went through this workshop with me was because they'd had so many difficulties in their in their organization and they were they just went from crisis to crisis and they weren't sure if they're going to stay open or you know be sold or file for bankruptcy or whatever um and so he told the story of how he had turned a similar company around in Australia because that was why they hired him. They brought him because he'd been successful there. And right. once he told them that, they, it didn't matter how he talked. They were so interested in, because it related to them. They all were having these fears and these, these concerns and what were they going to do and all of that. And, uh, he, could, he had a meeting out of his, out of the palm of his hand. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. And, uh, and it was just a matter of helping people understand people will listen to your stories way more than they'll respond to your bullet points. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you tell the story behind the bullet points, Hooray, then you're, then you're great. You can still use the bullet points. This is not to say that you, you don't use charts and graphs and statistics and all those other things that, that businesses especially have to be aware of and right. pay attention to. But in terms of, of how you're explaining something or trying to get buy-in or get somebody to change the way they, they do a particular process or procedure or whatever it is, um, it's usually the stories that capture people's attention. And if they're personal, then that tells those folks listening, hey, this, this person has been there, done that. They're not just blowing smoke. They're, they're telling me something that they've been through and, and they get me. They get how I feel because decisions are made from from your heart i don't care how many statistics you have the bottom line decision is made from your heart every time so can i relate to him even though he's going to tell me lots of things that i i'm struggling with but he's going to tell me how the other environment how we worked with them yeah. um, on a heart is. level on a heart level and yeah. some of it probably wasn't pretty i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> nope. to be able to get to get through uh the change or the acquisition or whatever they were yeah. going through yeah. yeah and the reality was it was so successful that they they sent it down through all the different levels of the of the organization and there were lots of other stories that came out and things that were changed because of that and they they turned the they turned it around i mean it wasn't just because they started telling stories i get that but that was the, the new tool, the different way of relating to each other and communicating with each other that allowed them to 
take the time to listen and to figure it out together. And then they made jokes about, you know, the way one, one side talked and the other didn't. And, and they came up with internal marketing uh, plans about other changes that they were making that came out of some of those workshops and and it worked really really well it didn't it didn't change overnight and and it's something you have to learn to do you can't just tell one story and everything magically changes but that's that's true with any communication methodology so it's a it's an option or it's an add-on however you want to want to say it it's not the it's not a magic bullet so really what I hear is that you're talking, I mean, for any of us, whether it's a CEO or a middle manager, the core thing is transparency, right? So sometimes as a leader, and oftentimes, unfortunately, and you've been a CEO, I've been an executive, <laughs> you know, you kind of think, okay, I'm going to, the CEO gets the, you know, the, the, the high, high level information, the senior executive kind of gets, you know, a little bit more than him, the middle managers get more, and then they have to basically, you know, communicate with the front line, kind of to the frontward facing customer, kind of what's happening, right? So it's so important that transparency is done in such a, a, a way, you know, and, and then like communication is, there's so much to communication that we could talk probably to hours about that, um, that if the CEO or the new person coming in is blocked off, yeah. We, we might be mistrusting of him or her just because we just can't read them. Yeah, you have to be authentic, in my opinion. And, and in many respects, I mean, we talk about this a lot in the speaking industry, and that is you need to be in the moment, you need to be authentic, you need to be transparent. But I don't think it's peculiar to the, to the speaking industry or the training industry. It's just that in, in our industry, we're on stage, literally. And mm -hmm. so people are looking at us and, and expect, have certain expectations. And if we're different off stage than we are on stage, then we're not, we're not accepted and we're not believed. And so I think in terms of, of leaders in other kinds of industries, people know when, when things are not quite uh, transparent or not quite authentic. And they talk about it. they talk about it going up and down the hall or in the break room or out in the parking lot, whatever it is. And they're always talking about one of two things. Usually, you wouldn't believe what they did to me today and how stupid corporate is, right? Or you wouldn't believe what I did today. I love my job. And there's very little gray area in there. And so, the people that love their jobs and allow themselves to to excel and do things is because the people, in my opinion, anyway, the people at the top are authentic enough and transparent enough that they know that they can, they can do certain things and they have a certain level of empowerment, whether anybody ever said, I'm empowering you to do this or not. And, and so it makes communication up and down and sideways and, and all the different directions work better. But you know, when you think about uh, traditional going back years ago to, to like senior executives or CEOs, that constant, that concept that they have to be autocratic, they have to be in control. You know, we can't see any cracks. Um, you know, they have to deliver, they have to be like enamel. And now we're seeing kind of the opposite, like what you're saying about this, you know, about really having people experience you as a person. You, yes, you have a job to do. Yes, you have certain difficult decisions to make. Yes, you're going to have to, you know, you know, do X, Y, or Z to create a change. Um, compared to years ago, you couldn't, you know, I'm thinking of some of my first jobs with, I mean, I'm, I, I think of some of the questionable at best CEOs or senior executives that I've worked for. And they're, some of them are horrendous, Yeah, you know, compared to today where we're saying, you know, there has to be relatability. Um, you have to know, you know, something extra, not about everybody if you have a lot of direct reports, but you have to be able to relate at some level. Yeah, I, I worked with a CEO at one point who was very much in, in his ivory tower. And yet he thought he was a, a man of the people because he had these um, 
I forget how often, but periodically he had weekends uh, where a group of his his management people would would go for a couple of days and I was involved in the couple of days and he would come in on the last day and have breakfast and it was a very big thing if you weren't there before he got there then it was you know you probably wouldn't have a job when you got back to the to the office and and it was all very structured and, and then he of course he had questions he, he took questions well the questions were given to them on cards as they walked in the door so everybody knew what the questions were and obviously he did because he wrote them or somebody, he, he at least passed judgment on them. And, and then his big deal was, well, you know, we're going to throw the speech ball around and, and, and I'll throw it and then you ask your question and I'll answer it and then you throw it to somebody else and all of that. And that's not, there's nothing wrong with throwing a beach ball around to get questions asked. But the problem was they weren't their questions. They were his questions that they were asking him because he didn't feel like, for whatever reason, that he could or wanted to share anything off the cuff or spontaneously. It all had to be very, very structured. And so people left that weekend saying, hey, we enjoyed what we did with you, but you know, the rest of it was just a game and it wasn't a very fun game. So, I, I'm very encouraged that more and more of um, people in, in senior leadership positions, regardless of their title, um, are, are much more open and much more transparent than they, certainly than they used to be 30 years ago. Um, and that's good, but it's a, it's a struggle sometimes because we emulate how we came up in business with, with mm -hmm. the role models or the, the, the people that we, we reported to. And some of them um, didn't have very good habits. Right, they may have gotten things done and people's limbs may be falling off around them, yeah. but, they, but they got things done quite literally. Uh, you know, yeah. So you know, I, I really appreciate that when you see a senior leader that uh, is connected, they, they may have had to do a lot of work because I don't know if you have a perspective on this, uh, Susan, but sometimes at the senior level, there um, potentially, would you say a lot of time, A-type personalities, they're pretty structured, you know, they've been hired um, for certain things. So the tactical end of business, they're very, very good at. And sometimes maybe not so much on the, on the other end, which is what you're talking to, the heart-centered leadership. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think we, we're, we're sort of, it's interesting because we've sort of gone from, from totally autocratic. Mm -hmm. I mean, every senior leader was do it my way or the highway kind of thing. Right, right. And, I mean, I'm generalizing, but nonetheless. And then more open and more authentic and more transparent. But now with technology, when we don't see each other directly or, I mean, yeah, we have Zoom as we're using today and we have Skype and we have FaceTime and, and some of those things. But in terms of a collegial kind of camaraderie day in and day out, many people work from home or, or they, they, they're on the road a lot, those kinds of things. And so that, that interpersonal um, relationships are now, you know, coming not, I don't know if they're going all the way back to total autocratic, but, but the, the problem is people aren't there to communicate with on a, on a one-on-one. -on -one. So the clues that you get by, by listening to a tone of voice, by, by looking at body language and all the other kind of silent communication tools that that we have aren't there mm -hmm. and even with zoom i mean you can see me from here up pretty much yeah, yeah. Head. and if i put my hands up here then you can't see my head so and that's fine for you and me and for doing a, a podcast like this but but on a day-to-day work-related interaction it leaves a great deal to be desired and so I think there's, you know, we're still struggling with that. Where are we going to land? 
Are we going to go all the way back to the way it used to be and just be worried about bottom line results? And, and I don't think that, that the younger folks in the, in the workplace will stand for that. I mean, they'll leave and go someplace else. They have no sense of loyalty. And that's fine. I get it. But, I, you know, given my checkered past, I can't, I can't call too many people that that's wrong. But, but the reality is that, that we can't all work from home all the time either. Somebody has to, to watch the store, so to speak. So there's, there's still some hard work to be done by everybody, not just, not just senior management, but, but I remember, I remember the, when there was a shift, I was uh, a consultant, a health and wellness consultant, and uh, it worked well because I had a young son and um, they had just started to go virtual. And I was one of the first executives. They, they said, you know, this, we're talking, you know, 19 years ago now to date myself. And they said, Oh, you can, you know, you can, go see your clients. You can have a, a, you know, you could come into corporate, but when we have specific meetings, I remember there was one meeting that um, generally all the other executives would attend. And I hear I show up, you know, go from Niagara to Toronto, which is where my office was. And I'm in the boardroom and I, I'm literally in there and there's a handful of people. And I'm like, well, where is everybody? And somebody's looked at me and they said, well, why are you here? And I said, well, I'm here for the meeting. And they said, oh, well, you don't need to be here. You can go back to your desk. Right? So that shows you taking it so much to an extreme. Yeah. Right? So my thing is I still want, I needed for myself to connect. Yeah. Uh, but there were people in the building that was to be at the same meetings that chose to sit, sit at their desk. Well, I, 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 of course, I'm a people person. So for yeah. me, I, I much prefer face-to-face. -face. I much prefer um, having an interchange of, of uh, ideas and sharing and brainstorming and whatever, whatever else. If it's just going to be an information dump, that's a whole different conversation. And yeah, send me, a, send me an email, send me a, a piece of paper, even if you, you know, don't want to do, but whatever. And I can get the information. But if you want my, my thoughts and if we want to build on each other's thoughts and share ideas and, and move forward from a more creative perspective, then in my opinion, the gospel according to Susan, um, I, I think we have to meet at least somewhat periodically uh, together in order to to have the benefits of both both sides of that equation. We have we use technology in in many respects and that saves time and it's efficient and, and we can do it over across oceans and all that kind of stuff and that's great. But the other side of that same coin is that if we don't periodically sit down in a room with each other and say a, B, and C, and oh no, no, I thought I thought we were going to do D, E, and F, or you know whatever it is, and come to some understanding based not only on the words that we say, but on the ideas and the concepts that that we generate and the tone, the voice that we use, and how in, in, involved we are in the interchange. I think we're cheating ourselves, we're cheating our businesses, and we're certainly cheating our clients and customers which I think is becoming more probably an issue that you're seeing um, with companies all over the world now, right? Like, I mean, we used to do East to West coast and the same with the U S but now you're talking that you've been, you go to international companies, which I'm going to assume they have companies all over Europe and into North America. And if we're saying that that model is something it's, it's practical and sorry, I should say convenient, but is it practical when you look at the overall kind of um, synergy for the company? I just don't think one size fits all. That's right. that's the thing. I think I think that part, that that technology part, certainly has a place, and it allows us to gather information and to share information in a very efficient way, and all of that. It allows us to have a conversation. Uh, on the spur of the moment if we need to because of an emergency or a crisis or whatever. But at some point, if, if we, I used to work for a guy that was very proud of the fact that, that he never, ever 
in when he'd been in business for like 20 years and I, I hadn't, I worked as a consultant with him. So I wasn't really his employee, but he never, ever once had a staff meeting ever. And he's very proud of that. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, seriously? And he said, no, we don't have time for that. And I said, he said, everybody's always gone anyway. And I said, well, there's, you know, there's Skype, there's Zoom, there's this, there's that, whatever. And nope, nope, we don't need it. Look at how much money we've made. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's like, okay. So the, the bottom line was nobody really, I knew him because I'd known him for years in a, in a previous life, so to speak. And so if I picked up the phone or, or went into where he was, I didn't have any problems sitting down and, and telling him what I thought about things. But a lot of people didn't know him that well. And some people had never met him. And um, it was just, it was a real strange way to run a business. I'll just put it that way. And he never did change. Never. So I guess it depends on the, the leader also, right? Like, I mean, you can still be making money. And like I said, have low, low morale or stuff like that. But again, the question becomes how, how long is that sustainable? If it's, you know, in this, in this economy, this, you know, high paced economy that we're going. Well, and and in, a, in a time when loyalty to a particular organization is not necessarily guaranteed. So mm -hmm. if, I mean, I, you know, I, I've known people, my son included, uh, who, you know, they only work maybe two or three years in a, in one place, and then they they leave and go. They get another job. They never have any fear about not not having work, which mm -hmm. I find refreshing, and yeah. absolutely horrifies me sometimes because I'm a product of a different generation. But the reality is that for them, it's kind of like you know. Well, like me, in terms of how, how much I moved around in my life and how many times I packed and unpacked and did all those things. And that didn't seem strange to me. And in the same way, moving from one company to another, one city to another, whatever, one country to another, um, is, not, is not something that people are as uncomfortable with as, as they were even 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're for sure. So when you, when companies are in um, the companies that you work with, um, I'm going to assume that when they're wanting to work on storytelling and communication, you're going to have more of a, um, a knowledgeable uh, senior team that's wanting you to do that or do they bringing you in in when there's a bit of a crisis or mergers acquisitions well, I think it, it, it depends on the industry quite frankly and I'm not trying to evade the question but I mean the reality is I've 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 been involved at at all those different times and typically um, what they're all looking for is a better way to understand each other they may not be able to verbalize that they may call it mm -hmm. something else but once we have some conversation and i ask them certain questions about their organization and how they do business and whatever else what i what i've come to realize is that the the, the difficult part for most companies is people don't communicate well and that can mean a lot of different things, but because they don't communicate well, they don't meet deadlines, they behave inappropriately, they, they're not efficient with their time, they, they don't respond quickly, um, or they don't respond at all. Um, you know, those kinds of things, and it's just because they, they, don't, they don't think about how to communicate or how, how a younger a person newer to the workplace, I'll put it that way, they don't have to be young, but a person new to the workplace sometimes doesn't understand or doesn't know all the different opportunities or options available to them to communicate with people that are in at a different level in the organization. So, so things get miscommunicated or not communicated at all. And sometimes there's not a crisis and sometimes there is, depending on how long that's gone on and on. 
but mm-hmm. um, I've found it interesting that that once I have enough conversation with the senior level folks that they often then ask me to to work with the more I hate the term entry level but the the folks that that are doing the the face that, that are actually the face of the organization I mean they're dealing with the clients and the customers face to face and I don't care what you call them and what industry they're in and and they don't have a lot of work experience they don't have a lot of life experience some of them and so they they think well let's do this story thing with them because maybe and i said well it's got to start from you guys and guys is a inclusive term and they don't have to all be guys but but you know so if they if they see you demonstrating and exhibiting how to communicate more effectively and willing enough and transparent enough to share things about your your path, your journey. How did you get here? What did you have to give up? What did it do to your family? What did it do to your relationships? All those kinds of things. And I don't mean a, you know, lie on the couch and tell them your life story kind of thing, but, but enough of that, that they understand that, Hey, this is a real person. Mm-hmm. And they can, maybe I can learn something from them. I sure don't want to do what he just told me or what she just told me. I'm going to do it differently because that didn't work out so well for them. But they would never know that unless somebody actually shared that experience. So it works both ways. And they often say that people leave jobs because of, you know, because of the, you know, the bad management above them, right? Like, so if, you know, if, even if I don't like the job, but I like my manager and I will, you'll hear that in my consulting, you'll hear people saying that I loved, you know, I loved my manager. So I have to on, even though the culture may not have been the best, but I got respect from that person. The person gave me that latitude. They gave me that functional authority within my lane and I knew what I could do. I can go back with suggestions, all those things. You know, and they would collaboratively work with me when something was going on versus dictating to me, kind of, this is the way it's done and, you know, those types of things. So it's really about that. You're right. Again, it's that synergy. And I want to do well for the person above me. There's a a friend of mine, a speaker out of uh, Orlando, who who started out primarily as as an IT guy. And he, he had, he was an early adapter to, or adopter, whichever the word is. I'm a communication specialist. I should know. <laughs> oh, well. But, but of all the, the bells and whistles, all the toys, you know, of, of all the different things that you could, you could have from, from an iPhone all the way to whatever. And yet he changed over time in, in his, in his, um, thinking and in his way of presenting and and consulting with clients because he used to talk about e-commerce and and now he says it's not about e-commerce it's about our commerce relationship commerce Mm. and we don't have the right kinds of relationships within our organizations and the right kinds of communication tools to foster those kinds of relationships then the the bottom line is going to suffer, and it may not suffer immediately, but but eventually it's going to suffer because nobody's understanding each other. Or we're miscommunicating at whatever level. So do I you just, find I, that that's different culturally, or do you find that that's the same? All and all, like you, with all the continents that you've worked on, is that difference with relationships? No, I, I really don't think so. Um, there, there are some nuances, certainly, because of some cultural things. And, and I haven't worked a lot in the Middle East, but I did some work in the Middle East. And so there's some certain things that, especially as a woman, they, they wouldn't, you know, necessarily believe what I said or believe what any other woman that happened to work in their organization said because of the, the, the way they were, they grew up and the culture in which they, they grew up in but the bottom line was still the same they weren't they weren't communicating on the same wavelength and 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 i have not found regardless of the culture regardless of the language that is the first language or or whatever uh and regardless of the industry Mm -hmm. when you get down to the the very nuts and bolts of what's going on 
it's usually a, a communication issue and it's either something that's been miscommunicated, misunderstood, totally not communicated or understood. You know, there's different, different levels, but once, once people start talking to each other, I mean, really talking and listening, then it works. Um, but it's hard. It's hard work because people don't like to listen. Some people don't like to talk. Some of us like to talk too much. <laughs> so, you know, like, the, all, like all the speakers we know. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. But um, um, I, I really believe, and, and, and I, you know, I can only speak from my own experience, but it's been pretty, pretty broad. And I've been very fortunate and very privileged to, to work with a lot of different kinds of cultures and and a lot of different folks in, in a variety of different industries. And, um, you know, it's just like, it's just like when, you know, here's, I go back to my airplane uh, days, but, but when you're, when you're stuck in an airport and your flight's delayed or canceled and, or whatever, and the weather's bad and there's people sitting on the floor and in the seats and hanging from the rafters and yelling and screaming at each other and all those kinds of things. And if you just sort of sit back and watch for a little bit and you can see where if somebody just said something a little bit differently or stopped yelling long enough to listen to what somebody else said, then the results were like magic almost. But my, my favorite, rem and it's actually in a book somewhere, but I was actually there. And this was a Southwest Airlines flight. And I was waiting for my flight out of Houston to someplace. And there, the terminal that I was in had eight gates. And it was in a, like a, a circle, kind of semicircle at the end of the terminal. So if, if somebody was particularly loud, you could be sitting on one side of those eight gates and hear somebody clear on the other side of the circle. And so there was a gentleman that was standing at the, at the counter trying to, to um, he wanted a seat assignment. And of course, Southwest Airlines doesn't assign seats. And so the young lady who, I mean, she looked like she was 12, but I'm sure she was, you know, that's just because I'm old. Everybody looks like they're 12. But, but she, was, she was trying really, really hard to be kind and gentle and soft-spoken and not get upset. And he just kept getting more and more upset. And she kept saying, sir, I, I can't assign you a seat. We don't assign anybody seats. And, you know, there's people in line behind you. And all I can tell you is you need to get in line because when we open the doors, everybody sort of goes in at once and it's first come, first serve. And she said that in a variety of different ways, multiple times. And finally, he was just so obviously not listening to her and had never apparently even heard of Southwest Airlines. And he drew himself up and he said, don't you know who I am? And the whole terminal just was like, <laughs> and, he, and the young lady picked up her microphone and she said, ladies and gentlemen, can anyone identify the man at gate, whatever it was, he seems to have lost his identity. And we all just died laughing. The poor <laughs> man just sort of wandered off. I don't know. The entire place was clapping. And because everybody, this had been going on for 10 minutes. And finally, she, I, was, I was really pleased because she wasn't rude. She was, it was just funny. And, and he, I think when everybody else in the whole terminal was laughing and, and clapping, he just sort of wandered off. But, you know, he could have saved himself 10 minutes of grief and certainly of whatever perceived embarrassment he, he may have had at the end, all because he didn't, he didn't stop complaining long enough to, to listen. listen to what she was going to say. And so her, her final recourse was just to, you know, be funny. And, and, uh, and it worked, and the rest of the people were just thrilled. because then, And then business resumed as usual, and I don't know where the man went. 
And I actually read it in a book a year or two after that actually happened. And I said, I was there. It wasn't even my book. And uh, so anyway, it's, but you know, you don't have to be in business, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Or no, of course. And it's, it's all the difficulties that we go through, right? We all go through difficulties. Like I was going through a situation and there was a merger and acquisition and I was caught up in it, you know, obviously at my level and the, you know, the person above me, um, and I was, it was a tough time for everybody and it wasn't well done. And my direct report, she, she was not nice to anyone, you know, um, because of her stress level. And then I, you know, was severed and given a package and all that stuff. And, and then later on, uh, you know, didn't think too well of her, obviously, because, you know, she hadn't treated anybody well. And um, then ran into her probably a couple of years later and, you know, thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of keep my distance. And then, you know, she approached me and apologized because she had been under such immense stress and could barely keep her head above the water. Um, so you already get that. If, if, if she had just stopped and said to us and the team, you know, I am losing my marbles too. So how about we lose our marbles together yeah. and try to figure out how to wade through this storm? That yeah. would have been that would have been such a nice connecting element because there was nobody on the team not under complete duress. Yeah. Oh sure. Well, yeah. I think mergers are, are especially difficult, and having been through one myself, and where I was the the primary person, and and then worked with other companies in in terms of theirs. And the ones that succeed that I've been part of are the ones that, that do a whole assessment of the culture from mm -hmm. each of the, the organizations to see what they need to do to mix and match and, and, mm -hmm. and actually integrate each other's cultures, corporate mm -hmm. cultures together before they ever think about you're going to, be let go or you're you're gonna stay or you know we're gonna trim this many people off the you know as employees or whatever it is and and when they do that it's not a guarantee but it certainly goes a long way towards making it a much easier um process to go through and uh but, but most organizations don't do that. Unfortunately, most of them don't do it. And I think you're right. The cultural part of it is, uh, and then of course, what, are pe what state are people in? They're in a state of fear. And then we know there's duplication on both ends when there's two complementary com companies coming together. And because they're not communicating what happens, you know, the stress level and the fear goes up. And then you're not staying logical at that point And people start kind of, you know, bickering yeah. at each other and, and creating all these you know scenarios yeah it's interesting that, that that when when people are expecting because of previous experiences or whatever that they're going to be fired or let go they make that assumption because we always we love to expect the worst apparently rather than the best and 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 we don't give anybody a chance to even explain something now that's not to say that everybody would but certainly we you know the 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 story that i i shared at the beginning about this the guy that they imported from australia if he had told any other story other than what he had done with the people at that particular location in australia that was in a similar situation to the one where he was in Georgia now, I don't think it would have worked, but because they related to that, then they were, they were interested in, Hey, how is this? And, and he ended with the questions. So how, what can we learn from this? How can we do things differently to ensure that this happens well here and this, and then we don't, you know, have to go into bankruptcy or get sold again or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And, and because they heard his story and how he had reacted to it and what people had done and how they'd worked together, then they were willing to try to do that and give him a bigger space in which to communicate and for them to listen more attentively. So I think it happens. I mean, we've sort of come full circle here, but I think it, it, 
you know, when you're authentic and when you're transparent and when you're not afraid, a lot of people, even at the highest levels, are so insecure in their own positions for whatever reason, whether real or imagined, that they don't, they don't know how to, to handle that kind of a situation to help other people get through it. And sometimes it's just as simple as saying, what do you think? Right. Or just, or like I said, joining and saying, you know, this is mucky for everybody here. And I know that I, you know, I've been, you know, probably not as uh, communicative or whatever. So forgive me if I've not been, what's going on for you is a different inroads to, you know, you know, to kind of putting the person they're reporting to down or talking about what's not going well that's uh you know i'll say it's a three to one positive 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 then we go into what's yeah. not working yeah. so well versus what's not so working well yeah. and then you go into the you know the positives then your that person's stress response is already through the roof and they're no longer listening yeah. and then you know it kind of goes awry from there yeah well there's no i don't think there's one easy answer for every organization i mean mm-hmm. one works one time with one organization won't necessarily work with another but the the part that that because I've had the kinds of experiences I've had and the number of experiences that I've had it's I won't say it's easy but it's easier for somebody like me to help in a in a situation like that because I, I bring those kinds of experiences to the table. Mm-hmm. Not that I was necessarily involved as an employee in any of those situations, but I was involved on the fringes as a, as a consultant, as a coach, as a trainer, as a, as a, a resource person to, to help them through a difficult time or to give them tips or techniques or methodologies, whatever fancy label you want to put on it to be authentic and transparent and to treat people like, <laughs> like people. Well, we, and you know, we could not have been ending on a better note because I think if we just would treat people like people, you know, and be respectful and kind and, you know, when you're, know when your things aren't going so well for you, maybe you're not a hundred percent and let them know that you're doing your best with what you got in that pocket of yours. People kind of say, yeah, yeah, I can see it. I can see what, if I'm feeling like this, I can imagine the pressure that you're getting from above. And then, then you have buy-in because it's not, you know, they, they can trust you and go back to knowing what you've demonstrated. Right. And at the end of the day, yeah. You have to be vulnerable enough or let your, let your vulnerability show, I guess is the best way to say that. And that's hard. That's mm-hmm. hard for a lot of people. Because it is. They didn't grow up that way or they didn't have that kind of a family. I mean, I came from a family where everybody wore their feelings, their hearts on their sleeves. And, you know, it was, it was very emotional sometimes, <laughs> but it worked for us. And right. so for somebody like me, it's easier to do. But I, I'm not, I'm not uh, stupid enough to say just because I, it, it was easy for me because of the way I grew up doesn't mean it's going to be easy for you. And I get that. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Well, Susan, as usual, this has been another great interview. <laughs> so I'm so glad that we could uh, we could get together again and, and talk about this. And I appreciate it so much. And. Uh, Thank you for asking me and for giving me a chance to babble on and on. I love your babble. We can do this again once a month. So what I'm wanting to know is just where, um, you know, if there's any organizations that may be interested in your, um, you know, your communication and and storytelling, um, you know, coaching, speaking, uh, trainings, where where can they get a hold of you? Uh, You can call me at 888 two two eight one seven three eight and that's my office phone number um so if i'm not available then then you'll get a voicemail you can also email me susan at susan luke it's a bit much but there it is and uh, that's my website as well, susanlukeevans.com. So feel free to, even if it's just a question, 
Um, yes, I would love to work with people and I would love for them to all want to hire me, but, uh, <laughs> but the reality is if you just have a question or, or want a more clarification, I'm happy to chat. Well, thank you. You're always so gracious with your time. So with everyone listening, I guess we go back to some of the basic things that I often refer to is just uh, be real, um, you know, recognize what you're going through, try to think about what the other person's going through. Um, and that sometimes you might be the role model for the leader above you. It may be that it takes a bit of patience on your end um, and know that, you know, you're striving to, to do the best that you can. Understand your stress response, what happens to you when you communicate or don't communicate well, and then try to think about what is it that the other person might be going through. Um, and the better that you get at communicating, um, I often say all we have control is over ourselves and then we can hopefully impact the people around us. So again, thanks so much for tuning in to um, spend some time with Susan and I. And if you're needing more information on me, um, a, a keynote speaking training um, or coaching, I can be reached at roxanderhodge.com. Okay, everyone, take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.